0: Hello and welcome to this episode of the Church Society podcast. I'm Ros Clarke. I'm the Associate Director of Church Society, and I'm the host of this mini-series on our podcast, Looking at the Church of England. If you haven't already listened to previous episodes, you can find them listed on the podcast page of our website, churchsociety.org, or on your podcast provider of choice. In this week's episode, we're coming right up to date, thinking about what's happening in the church at the moment, with respect to what are called the prayers of love and faith. In recent years, the church has been going through a process known as living in love and faith, which included courses that were run in churches, deaneries, dioceses, uh, all sorts of surveys, focus groups, all intended to enable members of the Church of England to discuss openly and honestly, and hear from those involved in matters of sexuality and also gender. The material produced included a book, a suite of online resources, links to academic and theological papers, as well as videos and podcasts at a much more accessible level. This process concluded in 2022 And in early 2023, the House of Bishops responded by producing the draft proposal of what was then called the prayers of love and faith. These prayers of love and faith included prayers that could be used uh, to celebrate people in same-sex relationships in a church service with features such as the exchange of rings and the making of vows. This was not same-sex marriage. It was certainly offering something which looked very similar to same-sex marriage and was commending same-sex relationships as something which could be celebrated, welcomed and honoured in the church. In February, at General Synod, the Synod was encouraged to pass a motion Commending the bishops' work on these prayers and encouraging them to take it further. The motion was passed with one significant amendment that such work should not be contrary to or indicative of any departure from the doctrine of the Church of England. The amendment was proposed by Andrew Corns and is often therefore referred to as the Corns Amendment. The response to many, many questions at General Synod was that this would all be sorted out by July General Synod, when the bishops would have prepared a document known as the Pastoral Guidance, which would govern the way in which the prayers were to be used, who they were for, in what circumstances, uh, what they uh, indicated and didn't indicate about the status of the relationship involved and would also look at replacing a much earlier document called Issues in Human Sexuality, which all those going forward for ordination still have to sign up to. Amongst other things, Issues in Human Sexuality makes it clear that clergy are not to be engaged in same-sex sexual relationships. In July, there was no formal update on the process, although there was an informal session to hear what had happened, how the various working groups had progressed or not progressed. And we were told that in November, the, these things would be resolved. This brings us to October, and on the 9th of October, the House of Bishops, following their meeting, issued a statement. They say this, the Church of England's House of Bishops has agreed in principle that prayers asking for God's blessing for same-sex couples, known as prayers of love and faith, should be commended for use. The House also concluded that structures for special services for same-sex couples based on prayers of love and faith should go forward to be formally authorised under canon law. The bishops will bring proposals to General Synod next month to pave the way for a process that would lead to the authorisation of these special services under Canon B2. This process, expected to take until 2025, would involve consultation with every diocese and require approval by General Synod. So in February, we were simply discussing prayers which were to be commended by bishops. Bishops are entitled to commend prayers for use in the church at at any point, but the expectation is, of course, that such prayers should always be consistent with the doctrine of the Church of England. What it seems that they have agreed in the House of Bishops in October is that the prayers of love and faith, if they were to be constituted into special services, in the same way that, for example, the prayers are joined together in a special marriage service, that that is something that they cannot simply commend because it would indicate a change in doctrine. That requires a different process and that's what's described under Canon B2. The whole General Synod would have to scrutinise the liturgy of those services and it would require a two-thirds majority in each house of the General Synod, that is the bishops, the clergy and the lay people, all to agree by more than two-thirds before it could happen. However, those same prayers Not in the context of a special service, but used within, for example, an ordinary Sunday service or a regular midweek service, can apparently be commended right now without that indicating any change in doctrine. That's where we were at on the 10th of October. And some of the interviews uh, that you'll hear in this podcast with Kirsten Burkett and Lee Gatis took place after that announcement had been made. Since then, on the 20th of October, the formal paperwork, which will be presented and debated at General Synod, was published. That includes a 100-page document explaining precisely what the bishops intend to do and why. Some of what uh, you'll hear discussed in the podcast isn't completely consistent with what the bishops later published on the 20th of October. So as we go through, I will just make some corrections to some of what Kirsty and particularly Lee said in the light of later developments. It is really hard to keep up to date with what is happening on these issues. I was unsurprised to note uh, in a Church Times article recently that one bishop had told the Church Times, as soon as you think that you've decided something, they come up with something else. It's certainly true that what the bishops were discussing back in September as a way forward is not what was later uh, agreed on in the statement on the 9th of October, nor indeed in the published paperwork on the 20th of October. Things are changing very rapidly. As we record this, it's almost a week to go before General Synod, and no doubt after that, things will have changed again. But I want to begin this podcast with just a a reminder following on from our episode on the Doctrine of Church of England, what the Church of England's doctrine is on this
1: issue and why it matters. The Doctrine of the Church of England holds that marriage is between one man and one woman for life. Marriage is a very important thing within the Bible and faithfulness within marriage is very important. Chastity outside of marriage is very important. If you start confusing that, well, then you're culpable to the extent that you have given people a wrong idea about what marriage is. All of us
0: are to be sexually moral, whether we are married and therefore only having sex within our marriage, or single and therefore not having sex at all. If marriage is only between a man and a woman, then all same-sex sexual relationships and sexual activity must be sinful. In our episode on the doctrine of the Church of England, we spent some time discussing which doctrines are essential, that is to say, which doctrines matters for, for salvation and which do not. Is this doctrine of sexual immorality really an essential matter?
1: The point at which something like same-sex marriage becomes a serious issue is the point of salvation. Uh, If you look at verses like 1 Corinthians 6, and it talks about habitual homosexual behaviour as something that will exclude people from the kingdom of heaven. And that's a really serious matter, and we must not let people be deceived about that. That is just unkind and unloving to teach people that God will accept something that he won't accept.
0: Lee Gatiss agrees.
1: It's
2: not loving or kind or clever to tell people that sin is not sin. And that is what the Bible calls it. It says it's sin. So, I mean, who would have the effrontery to bless what God with his own lips calls sin? Don't be deceived, says Paul, neither the sexually immoral neither idolaters nor adulterers nor men who practice homosexuality nor thieves nor god the greedy nor drunkards nor revilers nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of god these things are explicitly said to exclude you so if you are an unrepentant drunkard if you are an unrepentant adulterer or if you're an unrepentant sexually immoral person, of a heterosexual or homosexual persuasion, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those are not positions in life, states of life, to be blessed and rejoiced in. They are things to be repented of, to be washed, sanctified, justified from, through the spirit of God. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6 there. The
0: reason then why this matters so much is not that sexual sin or same-sex sexual sin is particularly worse or different from other sins, but that it is being blessed as if it is not sinful. If the Church of England were to start commending prayers blessing thieves for their burglary or blessing adulterers for their adultery, we would equally in outrage to the idea that we would bless anything which god tells us is sinful is what is so serious
1: so at that point it does become a very important issue that the church must teach the truth about no matter how hard that is and it is hard it is hard to teach because we don't want to upset people, we don't want to offend people unnecessarily, but we want them to know the truth. People have a right to know what God's truth is. Something like homosexual sin is not a worse sin than any other sin. Sin is sin. Uh, Gossip is a sin. Uh, Anger against others, uh, you know, habitual anger can be a sin. And there are many sins that we are far too quick to overlook because they're more socially acceptable. The problem is when you habitually accept sin as being normal or good, then you are distancing yourself from God and you're distancing yourself from the kingdom of heaven. God will accept all repentant sinners. He calls everyone to himself and Jesus can save anyone. So we want people to repent and come to him. And that invitation is open to anyone, no matter what their background. If you reject that invitation, if you say, no, I want to continue in my sin, even after I've been made aware that it's sinful and what the Bible says on it, that just becomes a habitual rejection of God and his salvation. It's clear then that same-sex sexual activity and sexual
0: relationships are sinful why does it matter so much that prayers are being commended for use in church of england services and indeed services themselves are being proposed for scrutiny and approval at some point in the future
1: liturgy is the forms of words that are actually used in church and so they are a vehicle for teaching people what doctrine is. And that is traditionally how most of the teaching of doctrine in the Church of England has happened. It's through people repeating the liturgy day after day, week after week, and so learning this is what the truth is. Uh, That is, uh, liturgy is meant to be reflecting true doctrine. Uh, There should be no distinction between those things. And so Uh, A liturgy that does not teach true doctrine is a wrong liturgy within the Church of England. There should be no means by which it can be authorised.
2: It says in the Thirteen Articles that the Church does have power to decree rites and ceremonies and liturgies and so on, and it does have authority in matters of faith, in controversies, and yet, Article 20 goes on, It is not lawful for the church to ordain anything that is contrary to God's word written.
0: For hundreds of years, the Church of England has gathered together its prayers in the words of the Collects, These are short prayers appointed for use on special days and for every Sunday throughout the year. Short prayers which contain wonderful doctrinal truths about God, his church and his people, as well as expressing prayers that God might be acting for his good in the world and in the church. Gathering Our Prayers Together is the latest publication from Church Society, bringing together 60 reflections on Anglican collects from a diverse collection of authors, including lay and ordained men and women from around the global Anglican communion. Some of the reflections are more theological, some historical, some more practical in focus but all of them encourage us to understand and use these prayers in our own devotional lives. Gathering Our Prayers Together is available in digital form on Amazon or from the Church Society website and in a beautifully produced small hardback edition that would be a lovely gift for any Anglican that you know this Christmas, including yourself. Gathering Our Prayers Together is available to purchase now.
2: The latest statement of the bishops,
0: that is the statement made on the 9th of October,
2: tells us what their approach is going to be to getting their will through the synod. And um, their will is that they're going to commend certain prayers of love and faith to be used in blessings of same-sex couples. They're going to commend their use, which can be done under canon law for prayers on the bishop's authority, provided that those prayers are not indicative of a departure from the Church of England's doctrine. Um, And they've also said that in terms of services of blessing, they are going to go the uh, the full synodical route, which is we're going to go through a proper process of authorising them and discussing them, um at synod level so because they are a serious change that means we think this is so important it needs a proper process to go through so we're going to do that canonical process through the general synod and so on so that these can be approved but actually we're just going to approve the prayers anyway for immediate use provided it's not in some standalone service
0: it is hard to make sense of that and why the bishops think that that is a route they want to take. We are given references to their legal advice uh, as a basis for this decision, but since their legal advice has not been made public and they've consistently refused to make such advice public, it's hard to tell precisely what is going on there.
2: They're going to basically allow these heretical prayers to be used Um, while also vigorously pursuing their proper authorization through the due process. I mean, once you've let a bear into the back door of your house, it's too late. It's too late to think about putting in proper protective measures for controlling bears in the house. Certainly,
0: it is hard to imagine quite what will happen if the bishops go ahead like this, commend the prayers for use at some point in the next couple of months, and yet in 2025, when this matter is brought to Synod for full discussion and approval, the Synod votes it down. At that point, will people have to stop using prayers that they have already become accustomed to using? Well, yes, but also who knows at this point? Will, will people who have participated in these services, couples who have experienced that that blessing of their relationship in a church suddenly have to find themselves unblessed by the church, it will be hard indeed to put back that can of worms
2: once it has been opened. So the bishops are telling us with a straight face that using words from the church's marriage service or words they've just made up to bless a same-sex couple who may or may have just got married, that those prayers are not indicative of any departure from the doctrine of the Church of England. This is where the
0: papers published on the 20th of October do diverge slightly. In those papers, it seems to be the case that the bishops are arguing they do constitute a change in doctrine, but not a change in doctrine in any essential matter. Now, there are two things to notice there. First is that the Corns Amendment that we mentioned earlier asked the bishops to do this work, ensuring that it was neither contrary to nor indicative of a change in doctrine of the Church of England. Not merely in in essential matters, but in any matter. The bishops have decided to ignore that and go ahead with what they recognise to be a change in doctrine provided that they think it is a matter that is not essential. Of course, it is a matter that is essential, as we've already established. It is a matter which pertains to salvation. It is not, therefore, a matter to be taken lightly, and it is not something which the bishops are free to make changes in without due consultation with the General Synod.
2: There's nowhere in scripture, nowhere in the teachings of the early church fathers and nowhere in the Reformation formularies or laws of the church, nowhere that says any kind of same-sex sexual relationship or any kind of sex outside of male-female marriage is pleasing to God. It's not a state of life that enjoys God's blessing, but rather in those all those sources of Anglican doctrine, it's exactly the opposite. Indeed, this is a change of doctrine and
0: it is a change in doctrine coming from the bishops. Bishops who in their consecration vows promise to uphold
1: the doctrine of the Church of England. Bishops are supposed to be at the forefront of guarding the right doctrine in the church. They're meant to be the pastors to the pastors. So the pastor's job is to be guarding correct doctrine through the teaching that is done within a particular church and the bishop is meant to be overseeing that process and guarding the doctrine in the church more widely.
0: Following the statement from the House of Bishops on the 9th of October, 11 members of the House of Bishops or participants, observers of the House of Bishops, published a letter expressing their disagreement with the statement.
2: It isn't the whole House of Bishops. But it is the House of Bishops as a thing has voted for this. And it is being led by the archbishops who are both vigorously pursuing this way, despite what they know will happen in the Anglican Communion as a result. Have I got this right, Roz? Did Justin Welby say he knew some people would die in parts of the world if we took this step to bless same-sex relationships in the Church of England? And he was going to do it anyway. He was going to push it anyway. And he looked pained at that point. But how can you do that? Why does he think that that is more important?
0: It is notable that in the letter from those bishops who disagreed with the House of Bishops as a whole, they call out the process by which the prayers of love and faith are being pushed through. Of course, there are theological disagreements, and those are extremely serious. But it is extraordinary to see bishops calling out their fellow bishops for failing to follow due process in
2: this matter. It is at least incumbent on those who want to change to do things with due process, to do things with persuasion and putting forth an argument. What we have at the moment from the House of Bishops is contempt. They are being contemptuous of the rest of the church they're not following due process they are contemptuously dismissing objections um, and they are not putting forward any coherent or otherwise vision of why we need this change they don't start with the bible and theology and then show us why we must have these prayers no they haven't done that they haven't even shown us the legal advice as to whether these things are possible legally they are contemptuously ignoring the need for theology and for legality. They're just going to push it through with their power. If we are going to bless same sex couples in church.
0: No doubt those issues of process will be raised during the debates in General Synod. Legatus again, explaining the really serious consequences of pushing forward with such a change in doctrine
2: if we're going to have same-sex marriage in church at some point it is possible that those things can happen it's happened in other churches but to do that we will have to change what we say about the bible because it will no longer be clear and honest that we're actually following the bible we will have to change what article 20 says because that says we can't ordain anything that is contrary to God's word written It doesn't just mean ordain ministers who believe these things, but we can't set down anything or prescribe something to happen that is contrary to God's word written. And since this so clearly and obviously is, we'll have to unravel the whole reformation settlement of the church and unpick bits of the 39 articles and the book of common prayer, which says marriage is for a man and a woman, a bride and a groom, um, so all of it's got to go what we say about scripture what we say about the teachings of the early church um which which is all completely against these uh new developments and we'll have to unpick everything in article in canon a5 about what the church of england's doctrine is and that's why it's so serious when the bishops say to us that this is not a change of doctrine because it's not just a change of doctrine it actually unravels every single part of the church of england's doctrine as it is plainly stated unless we don't trust what words say anymore unless words can mean absolutely anything you want them to mean it is clear that this is a change of doctrine and unravels everything that's sad
0: The dissenting bishops also are firmly of the view that we need to adhere to the commitment made to bring the prayers of love and faith, the pastoral guidance and pastoral reassurance, including whatever formal structural provision is necessary to synod as a single package, rather than doing so in a piecemeal fashion. The pastoral guidance, as we mentioned, is to do with how the prayers are used, for whom and in what settings it's appropriate or not appropriate to use them. It also concerns the conduct of clergy with respect to same sex relationships, civil partnerships and civil marriage. The pastoral reassurance was supposed to be produced in order to show how the consciences of ministers would be protected should the prayers of love and faith be introduced. In February, it was made very clear that the use of the prayers would be up to the conscience of the individual clergy person. That reassurance has been absent in recent statements and the provision of any kind of formal structure or reassurance or provision is lacking at this
2: point we don't know what pastoral reassurance from the bishops is going to be because they haven't told us. They just, they have mentioned that they're going to think about it and possibly bring something to us. But we've no idea what's going to be in that. Um, it, it could be anything from full-blown schism to, um, you know, we might allow people who don't agree with these new prayers to continue going for a, a few years before we kick them out. It could be anything in between those two extremes um i think it does mean that they've been listening a little to those who say these new prayers of love and faith and the whole idea of same-sex marriage in church which is what people are also pushing for we have a problem with it and we think it's wrong according to the scriptures and the formularies and uh, and so on that this is not right and they've listened to those people because they keep saying if you do this We don't want to leave, but we can't carry on with you in the same way. We can't walk together to use that dreadful language that keeps being used.
0: It may well be that progress in coming to some kind of pastoral reassurance or provision or settlement has been so slow precisely because it is so hard to see what what would be satisfactory. The pastoral provision that was made under the five guiding principles and the House of Bishops declaration on the uh, consecration of women as bishops, has singularly failed to provide the kind of reassurance and the kind of oversight that was needed. Such a settlement would be wholly inadequate in the case of prayers of love and faith going forward. So where does that leave us? Well, I hope it leaves you falling to your knees in prayer. The whole thing is a mess. People on opposing sides of this debate are equally angry and unhappy with the bishops' proposals. The bishops seem to be changing their minds every couple of weeks about what they want to do and how they will achieve that. The motion that is brought to General Synod is simply a motion asking Synod to be too recognise the work that the bishops have done in implementing February's decision and encourage them to continue in that work. And yet eight or nine hours are allocated for debating that motion. That is because they recognise that many, many people will want to submit amendments to that motion. And that is where the heart of the debate will be. Amendments Suggesting that the bishops consider a different kind of process, that they consider a different timeline, that they should publish legal and theological advice that they've been given, and so on. We don't know what the outcome of that synod debate will be. We certainly don't know yet what the outcome will be of this whole process for the Church of England. But we trust in God who continues to build his church, knowing that the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so I urge you, brothers and sisters, as you listen to this podcast, if you have any concern for the Church of England and indeed for the church in England, please pray, please pray for wisdom, for godliness, for humility, for repentance, for courage. I end with some verses from the end of the book of Jude, verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the people who divide you, who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. But you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merciful to those who doubt. Save others by snatching them from the fire. To others, show mercy mixed with fear hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Saviour, be glory, majesty, power and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Church Society podcast. You can find the whole podcast archive on our website churchsociety.org. Don't forget to subscribe to us on your usual podcast app and we'd love it if you are able to leave a review or give us a rating over there as well.